I believe I can see Paul and Silas singing that song in the jail. Take my life. I am yours. Whatever, God. Ephesians chapter 3, you have an insert in your worship guide today which indicates the next five messages, including today, and that is God's care expressed. And so we're dividing Ephesians into three sections, and today we begin that second section with chapter 3. Verse 1, for this reason, that is all that's gone before, that we are saved by grace and grace alone, through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. We are part of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the great cornerstone. Verse 1, chapter 3, For this reason, all that's gone before, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Four times He uses the word mystery. Everybody loves a good mystery. I read about a mystery this morning in the Philippines. Do you know that they are banning the song, My Way, in the karaoke bars because so many people have been killed while singing it? They call them the My Way Killings. And they've confirmed six people who were killed for singing my way in the karaoke bars. 
Some people are saying, well, this is a violent culture and so many people die in these bars anyway. It just happens to be one of these popular songs, My Way, during which they're killed. Other people are saying, no, no, it's the song itself. You get up there and sing my way, like you're something, when you're nothing. The pride, the arrogance, people start fighting. People die. The truth is, it's a mystery. Nobody knows. I looked up the ten top science mysteries. And among them are questions like, who am I? A science mystery. What is the theory of everything? A science mystery. When did the universe begin? And why do I have desires? I read through the top science mysteries and I thought, these fit pretty well with the mysteries of philosophy and theology. Maybe scientists, theologians, philosophers, we're all asking the same question. Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? There's even the mystery of the saints today. You know, how could the ants be in the big game? We all love a mystery. When you read about this mystery in chapter 3, I want you to lock in on it, okay? Because this is the mystery. It's not a theological mystery only or a philosopher's mystery, or a scientist's mystery. It is the mystery that Paul addresses, the mystery of your life, the mystery of your purpose, the mystery of the plan for you on the planet. This is the central mystery, and only faith can take us to this place. Not in the center of the world or the center of the solar system, but in the center of the heart of God. We make a journey there today to discover the mystery that bothers every human being who is the self-conscious subject of experience. Self-conscious, we ask, why? Now, this mystery was hidden in ages past from people who long to know it. At one point, the Scripture says, in the past there were great men, kings and philosophers and prophets who longed to see the things that you have seen and did not see them, and to hear the things that you have heard and never heard them. So this is the mystery in the center of the heart of God. And Paul introduces it First, by saying he is captured by care. He is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And the word for prisoner is, in its root, is bonds or chains. So here's a man who introduces himself consistently as being in bonds and chains, not Roman chains, but chains to Jesus Christ. He was captured by Jesus. If you've read his testimony, you know. It was like he was slapped down on the Damascus Road, like God just thumped him on the head and knocked him in the dust. And some of us feel that way about our own conversion, don't we? 
mean, we were going along, and all of a sudden, there was God right in our face. And that's how it happened to the apostle. And he says in that moment, God captured him for a purpose. He was made a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And look in verse 2. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace, which was given to me for you. And already we know from verses 1 and 2, as Paul gives his testimony about how God's care captured him, we already know that it's not just about him. He's been captured for the sake of the Gentiles. He's been given God's grace, not for himself only, but for you, he says. He is, in fact, forwarding God's grace. He is a conduit of the gifts of God, the grace of God, and the care of God on the planet. That's why he was captured. That's why God captured you. I want you to get it. I want you to live in it. I want you to be able to say, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Why? Because God captured me. I was chosen by him. He selected me out of all the people on the planet. He stopped me in my tracks. He saved me by his grace. He called me to himself. I am his. And he alone can save, and he did it for me, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's me. Now it is a great mystery that we would be assembled here in this room, particularly we who have no lineage of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, who are not the physical descendants of the patriarchs, that we would be gathered in this room as people of the covenant. This is the mystery God made known. At one time, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. And this morning I want to say, behold, look around. I show you a mystery. Non-Jews, Gentiles, people from every language and race and tribe and tongue and ethnicity gathered in a room right now. This is God's mystery shown and made known. God has brought down the barriers between black and white, rich and poor, and every national boundary. He has brought them down in his church. In his church. Through Jesus Christ, the one new man, he has brought about a new living organism on the planet. And you are part of it. You have been, have been invited in to participate with the patriarchs and the physical descendants of Abraham in the promises made. You are children of the promise. You have claimed the promises in Jesus Christ. And there's three togethers about you that are mentioned in this text. God has pulled back the curtain of mystery to reveal what he was up to in the world all along when he told Abraham, through you and your seed, I'm going to bless all the people of the earth. All the nations are going to be blessed through you. Now we pull back the curtain to see that we have indeed received the blessing of Abraham that we are children of Abraham by faith, that we've been invited into the covenant and we are together. And look at verse 6. This mystery is that through the good news of Jesus Christ, through the gospel, now, the Gentiles, that's almost all of us. Now, there may be a couple physical descendants of Abraham. We always have some, but most of us are Gentiles, okay? The Gentiles are heirs together 
with your heirs together. You don't choose your inheritance. So this together is about what God has done for you that is absolutely beyond your grasp completely. You are an heir. He's made you an heir. He's made you a child. He's adopted you into his family. He's given you legal ownership of the blessings of God so that from verse 3, chapter 1, we are now heirs of every blessing in Christ Jesus. You are heirs. It's what God has done for you. Brothers and sisters, sometimes I feel so deeply inside that I have missed God's best for me that day, that moment, that encounter, because I did not claim what was already mine. It's already yours, child of God. You are heirs together with Israel. Look at the second together. You are members together. All the barriers down between Jew and Gentile. This was the greatest barrier in the ancient world. It's down. I hate that anti-Semitism still pervades the Gentile world. It should not. It should not be there. We should not be stereotyping people. We should not have that kind of prejudice, not only against Jews, but any group of people. Jesus taught us that he loved every person, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. We sang it since we were little. We are members together. When you show up in Ghana, Africa, as Anna and Emily Nix just did, and they're on their way back and we're praying for them, they are members together with those folks who believe in Jesus. We are members together in one body. This is our second togetherness. We are heirs together with Israel. We are members together of one body. That's always been hard for the church of Jesus Christ from the very beginning. People have picked at it and wondered, are these people really full members? I mean, look at them. They're Gentiles, for heaven's sake. Think of the things they used to do at those pagan temples in Corinth and Ephesus, and they've been eating that ungodly meat they sacrificed to idols. Surely we got to do something about this. These people are really full members? Yes. Members together in one body. And Baptists have always said, and when I became a Baptist, I heard this phrase, and I liked it, the ground is level at the cross. Don't you like that? The ground is level at the cross. There are no podiums upon which you can stand at the foot of the cross. We're all sinners without hope, saved. And in the church of Jesus Christ, all the members are of equal importance and value. And that is a an affirmation which each individually receives. I want you to receive that now. Maybe you've never been on this platform. You've never been in the limelight, but you are equally valuable with every other member of the body. We are members together. So I want you to receive that as an affirmation. One body. And I want you to receive it as an admonition. We are members together. It is a community of faith of which we are a part. We live as the family of God, as the household of faith, the Scriptures called it. And in this household, we are members together. And caring for each other is an, is an essential dimension of this household. 
I was blessed when Bob Moore told me that Wednesday night we delivered 40 meals, pretty largely to members of this congregation, though non-members also receive them, people who have been sick, who have had surgery, who can't get out of their houses, who are elderly. And members go to these members and care for them as essential and valuable parts of the body. And everybody in the community works toward that care one for another, knowing that we have been saved not just to secure our eternal salvation, but we have been saved to serve one another in the body. And then we are sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. We are partners. We are participating together. We share a common life in the family of faith. There's a life that energizes us. It is the Spirit of God who resides among us and within us. And it is a wonderful spiritual life which we share together in the promises of Christ Jesus. So we are heirs together. We are members together. And we share life together. And this is what God is teaching us. And these are qualities of His divine nature. The unity of the Godhead that He is passing on to we who are His people. Captured then by care, Paul goes on to talk about being a servant of the gospel. He is gifted to care. A servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Now, everybody in the room has been gifted by the Holy Spirit if you've been saved. Scripture says that you receive spiritual gifts. And God didn't want us to be ignorant about these spiritual things that He does in our lives. And this spiritual giftedness is given in order that we may serve others. Being a prisoner of Jesus Christ emphasizes the will of God as He, he binds us unto Himself. And it's almost like we have no choice. He chooses us. It's like, uh, I've chosen you. You haven't chosen me. But when we get to the word servant, the word diakonos, that's the word we get deacon from. There we have the believer entering into the covenant of promise with zeal and obedience and carrying forward his work in the body as a servant of Jesus Christ. Some people think that the word deacon has in its ancient past the idea of dust and that as the servants went about on those dirt floors back in ancient times, they would raise up the dust behind them. And they were really serving. If there was a little trail of dust, just follow them as they hurried about their task. And so that's what deacons do in our, in our body. They're just hurrying about their task and raising up the dust behind them as they go take care of things. And that's what every member of the body ought to be doing. We ought to be actively serving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now Paul says here in verse 8, I am less than the least of all God's people. I'm going to come back to this, but it touches me that he feels that way. It's not the only time that he says such a thing in his writings. 
he feels like the last rung, the chief sinner, so startled by the grace of God. And I'm praying that somebody here who feels like the last and the least and beyond the grasp of God's grace will discover His grace reaches you too today. And this worship hour will be the hour you discovered God's grace extended all the way to you, wherever you think you might be. Now, Paul uses here the idea of administration. He uses it both under prisoner of Jesus Christ and under servant of the gospel. And the administration idea is the management of a household. In fact, in the Greek, it has the word house stuck right in the middle of it. You find out that you're God's household in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, you find out that God's managing His household. Not only is He managing those He saves to build them into a family, but He is managing the servants of the gospel. That there's an administration to this servant that service that God is carrying out in each one of us. In other words, God has a plan and purpose that stretches beyond your individual salvation to incorporate you into His eternal purpose that stretches from sea to shining sea, northwest, east, and south. God is bringing His church together, and He's incorporated everybody in the body, and He is administering that body and power as He gives gifts to His church. I am energized and excited to think the gifts that young people in this room have received which are going to change the world in years to come. As you carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, the good news of God's grace as you proclaim what God has done, the things He's going to do in you to bring salvation to the lost and comfort to the hurting. He's gifted you for that. He is boldly at work in His world. And look, it is the manifold wisdom of God that this is taking place in verse 10. He, he has an eternal intention. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. God is making known His variegated wisdom. His wisdom of great variety that touches every situation, every discipline, every culture, every people on the planet, every problem humans deal with. So that His people will be energized, whether they are scientists or bankers or professors or in the medical profession, they will be energized as part of God's manifold wisdom in the earth to carry forward His plan to touch the planet through His church. He is administering the gifts that way. And, and He is a God of great wisdom who knows how to incorporate your particular gifts, abilities, and talents into the work that He is doing in the world. Now, this mystery, ages past kept hidden in God, has now been made known in his church, and he is making it known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. Now, these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm might sound good at first, but these are actually not good. 
These are the forces of evil in the world. These are the rulers and authorities that hold sway over men's hearts and minds and lives. Paul says in chapter 6 of this letter, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So don't suppose that your spiritual battles are just with people and their problems. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And that's right, right here. Archais and exousia is the Greek. It is principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. In other words, we are fighting a spiritual warfare against spiritual enemies on planet Earth. And God is announcing to the spiritual forces that hold men down and hold sway over their systems and their structures and their cultures that He has unleashed His power in His church. And His church is marching on the planet and He is bringing deliverance and freedom and rescue and salvation to the ends of the earth. And He is making it known to the spiritual forces that enslave people that His church is on the march and His truth will prevail. And right now today, I want to announce, I want to announce the freedom which is in Christ for every human being in this room who is bound by an addiction beyond their ability to free themselves. To every person whose mind has put them in a place where they cannot, it seems, receive the grace of God. To every person whose prayers fall at their feet and they feel unworthy to pray. I'm announcing to you today that the hold upon you has been broken by the cross of Jesus Christ and His death for you, and He is bringing liberation to where you are. There are people in this room who feel that they do not deserve, and I want to tell you the principalities and powers will always accuse you. They'll always say to you, you don't deserve it. You're not good enough. You can't be good enough. You can't live this. The principalities and powers will always tell you this. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And when you try, the accuser says, you're a fraud and you will not succeed. There are people in the room who have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ because they do not feel worthy. They are listening to the accuser. He has bound you up with guilt. He has tied you down with shame. And you can't wrestle loose no matter how hard you try. Jesus Christ came to break those bonds of guilt and shame in your life and bring you into the full light of the gospel and set you as an equal in the church of Jesus Christ to make you heir of all the good things of God and a sharer together in the promises of the covenant. He died to set you free. That's why Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, uses these words at the end of his text there in verse 13. In verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You can approach God with freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, Freedom from the chains of sin. You can approach God. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross and he paid the penalty for your sin. 
You can approach God with confidence. You don't have to come into his presence afraid of what he's going to speak to you, afraid he's going to reject you. You can come into God's presence with confidence. Why? Because Jesus gave you access. He opened the door. He tore apart the curtain. You can come into the presence of God with confidence, and you need to. You need to come into the presence of God with freedom, and you must if you're going to change your world, if you're going to be the servant he's called you to be, if you're going to forward the care of God, then you got to break that chain that holds you down and come into his presence with, with freedom and confidence, knowing what God has bought for you through Jesus Christ. You've got to get your head up. Get your shoulders squared. He's sending you to that school and that business to announce in your life and in your words the good news. Liberation and freedom and rescue for every troubled soul. In verse 13, the text takes a turn that might surprise you. After announcing all these wonderful things, in verse 13, he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And Paul brings in, on the backside of this wonderful text, his sufferings. He knows that suffering was then, like it is now, a most difficult issue for you to get your mind around when you think about the goodness of God. And you think about the grace of God and the love of God in your life. He knows that suffering is difficult for you to integrate into your understanding of what God's up to in the world. And so he says, I don't want you to be discouraged about my sufferings for you. Paul has suffered for them, but he doesn't want them to be discouraged courage about it. He wants them to be encouraged even though he has experienced pain and trouble on their behalf. And I want you to know, brother, sister, if somebody you love is suffering or you yourself are suffering, do not be discouraged. Do not allow that pain to separate you from the source of your life. Whether the pain is mental, emotional, or physical. In that pain, you come to the God who loves you, not push him away. And you will discover as you give him a tighter embrace, as you come more fervently in prayer, as you get into his word with even more purpose and dedication, that he heals the hurt. He lifts the soul. He puts you to work in his world as a prisoner of grace. Let's bow together. Oh, prisoners of grace, prisoners of Christ Jesus, are you okay this morning? Do you need to repent of anything? Is there a sorrow that's gripped your life? Has suffering distracted you? Do you feel separated and alone? Would you pray now that the Holy Spirit would bring comfort 
and that you would know the presence of a God who loves you completely and without reservation. Lord, we pray today that by your Holy Spirit you would do your work in we who are your people. Draw us to yourself while you draw everyone. Lord, we pray for those who don't know you that today they will have the courage to take that step of faith, praying to receive you as Savior and giving their lives unto you. Thank you for what you do as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.